We all know the damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. We will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike. Welcome to Speaking of Fire. This is your host, Mike Slatman. I'm honored to be a past president of the International Association of Arson Investigators. I've been an expert fire investigator and have been practicing for over 46 years now. And this is Donna Ingram. I'm a past director of the International Association of Arson Investigators, have about 30 years in fire and fraud, and welcome to Speaking of Fire. Yes, thank you for being here. And we've got a couple of great guests today. Um, these are, I'm lucky enough to call these people my friends, uh, and I know them. And, and uh, so um, I'm going to kind of toot their horns a little bit. Um, we got Jeff Spalling, who's a fire investigator with uh, Fire and Explosion Consultants, uh, LLC, which is in Ohio. And it um, it is... Um, uh, actually, it's one of the owners is the president of the International right now, Scott Bennett. And Jeff is a fire investigator and a training coordinator for um, fire and explosion consultants. And um, they do origin and cause investigations, case, case review training programs. And he's provided peer reviews for the sixth edition of Kirk's Fire Investigation. That's a textbook by fire, for fire investigators. And the second edition of Fundamentals for fire, of Firefighting Skills. He's also an author of the third, fourth, uh, fourth, third and fourth and peer reviewed the soon to be released fifth edition of Fire Investigator Principles and Practices practice to NFBA 921 and 1033, which is, which is generally uh, always authored by members of the International Association of Arson Investigators. He's also been working for the past 20 years in fire um, in fire investigations and has conducted or supervised over 2,500 uh, explosion investigations. Welcome, Jeff. I appreciate you being here. And my other guest is, uh, Joe, uh, is Bruce Van Dorp. Now, he's a CFI, an IAAI CFI also, um, and he began as a volunteer firefighter in 1981 and has worked in the fire service and fire investigations since then. And he holds an associate degree in fire science technology. He was 14 years with the Dayton uh, Fire Department in Ohio and 10 years as a fire investigator there. And, and since uh, 2000, he has been a, the owner of Fire Investigation Services, um, and uh, or since May of uh, 2007. And he's past president of the Ohio IAAI chapter, and he's investigated over 2,500 fires. Welcome, Bruce. Thank you, Mike. Pleasure to be uh, here. Well, I'm sure glad you guys are here. So we're going to talk today about Big box stores versus the regional fire investigators. And if anybody doesn't understand what big box stores are, um, Donna's about to explain it to you. Yes, I call them the marts. Yes. As in Walmart. And that's these national companies that are out there um, promoting nationwide coverage and for typically some type of a, a negotiated fee. Yes, and that's and and what we mean by that is national firms that well, and not everybody's a big box store. I mean, of course, uh, there's a lot of fire investigation companies, including mine, which is uh, uh, f- 
the Fire Consulting International, where we have a certain number of fire experts and, and we work regionally. But then we have uh, Consolidated Fire Investigation Services, which is an alliance of 200 fire investigators like Jeff's company and, and Bruce's company, which are s- smaller than national, but are very good regional experts. And, uh, and they will go all over the country if you ask them to do that. Uh, I know I fly all over the country for different clients, and, uh, and, and these are people that know what they're doing. Well, and what's scary about this, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say I'm biased, of course, being a regional company and knowing how many valuable, highly intelligent investigators there are that work for regional companies. And so two things are happening is uh, that these these clients are missing out on talent, missing out on expertise uh, by just pushing it aside since they're not national. And the idea is that there is a flaw in thinking that because you hire a national company, you're going to get the same work product and same type of fire investigators when we know darn good and well what happens in New York is completely different than what happens in Texas and in all these different things, um, relying on people that are local and know what's going on in their state is valuable. And the people that build their businesses in those areas have been through the trenches. Yeah, they have. They have. And, and, and of course, uh, Fire doesn't change, uh, you know, the fire dynamics doesn't change from region to region. But what does uh, change is the political atmosphere, the the, the, the arson immunity letters are even different, uh, the mm-hmm. arson immunity statutes. So uh, what we're talking about, and then, of course, the only the only thing I have, a, I have a big problem with them is that they'll indicate, the big box stores will indicate that they have people in every state of the union and they don't. And they will do, and they will say that they have experts uh, in everything, and they don't. And so, and they have a standardized report form most of the time that is uh, where it doesn't give their investigators enough leeway to actually explain the scene uh, per 921 and 1033, which is why we've brought these regional experts to talk to you. Yeah, and I'm very interested in what they have to say with what's going on in their region, because the regional companies like ourselves and theirs are being affected. This is literally, uh, it's literally taking money out of our pockets. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll start with uh, Jeff. Jeff, um, we uh, we talked a little bit about this uh, earlier before, not, not today, but uh, when we first started talking about you being on the show. And um, you used to have uh, your own company and you went with a, a, a bigger company and there was a reason that you did that, and what was that? Uh, the The biggest reason was the, the building a having a support mechanism that um, FEC had established. Now, you know, it was a company that was founded by two of my uh, very good friends, so it made sense at the time. You know, uh, when you're working by yourself, um, it can be difficult sometimes to be able to to handle all the assignments that are coming into you. Plus, you're also the billing person, you're the uh, collections person, you're the, the evidence manager, uh, the investigator, you know, you're, you have all these things that are thrown upon you. So 
when the opportunity presented itself, um, it really it took a lot of the uh, stress and uh, a large portion of the workload as far as the administrative side of it off of me to, because we had a full support staff that could uh, maintain that. And I, I have had no regrets from that point on um, basically folding my business into uh, fire and explosion consultants. And I think that's great. And uh, I re- I. I know that the, the the larger companies are trying to absorb um, private investigative companies with not buying them. They just want to absorb them. Uh, Correct. But that's because they're, it's sort of similar like Donna brought up about, uh, you know, you get a bigger company and, and then they, they move into your area and then they try to force you out of business. I actually had, and I don't know if you know this, guys, uh, one of them that I asked that question about, are you purchasing? And he literally, verbatim, said, I don't have to. I just put him out of business. Yeah, All which right. is kind of kind of sad. I mean, because entrepreneurs, uh, and we'll talk to Bruce about that. He was an entrepreneur like I was when I first started. And now, I've, now I'm, I'm not a big box store, but I certainly have a few investigators working with us. And it's exactly what Jeff just said is, is uh, it's about, you know, support and stuff like that. And a lot of people don't want to do their own billing but and stuff like that. But, Bruce, you started out uh, out of the fire service. Uh, did you jump into private investigations immediately um, and hang out your own shingle? Well, once out of the fire service, I joined another regional company and uh, worked at actually two other regional companies before starting my own Um but right out of fire service, I got into the private investigation side of things. Yes. And 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 you're um, you're you're um, a regional expert, and you have your own company. Uh, and uh, what do you, what do you see as um, your client services? How do how do they compare to those of the big box service provider? Do you think? Well, I have a network of engineers that work for other companies. I also have a very good relationship with an analytical laboratory that I use in order to provide whatever client services are necessary for each assignment that I get. Um, I've got another certified fire investigator that works directly with me, uh, Mr. Gene Lutz, and I'm happy to have him. Uh, We provide backup for each other as the need arises. And uh, although I I don't have these ancillary services in-house, such as uh, electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, and the like, I provide my clients with a seamless point of contact to cover those requirements of, of each assignment that we get. It gives me That's, flexibility, I think, in order that I can match a particular expert to the situation of a particular case where you know someone that has just an in-house engineer on their staff may not be so flexible to, to do that matching. That's interesting that you say that, Bruce, and I'm, I'm going to... Uh, walk a fine tightrope here and and say the, the truth, <laughs> which ahead. is, <clears throat> I'm glad to hear you say, because we also, we do not have in-house engineers and uh, people like that. We refer the people that we know are good in the area. Um, what we're seeing, and this has been said to me directly uh, by the, our mutual clients, is that some of these companies are going out there uh, and immediately pulling in their own in-house people. Have you been seeing that also? It, I've heard that as well, yes, where uh, they form 
partnerships at, at a minimum, or, or sometimes, like you talked about with the takeover situation earlier, that can happen as well uh, for some of these larger companies then to be able to provide such services and call it in-house. Yeah, well, the, I'll tell you what, the, the thing that bothers me the most is um, a lot of these um, companies, unlike uh, CFIS, which is, we have we have this alliance of 200 investigators, uh, and, and we have a bunch of in, uh uh, engineering companies too that that are available to us, but what they do is they go out, they negotiate a flat rate with a, an insurance carrier, okay, and that's for the first day, and they'll go out there and send their fire investigator out there, and then they automatically say, oh no, we need these inve- these types of engineers, and then they'll bring in their, their own, own engineers, I mean uh, from their own company. So in other words, and then they have to go back a second day. So on the second day, it's full price for the origin and cause guy. Now you've got a, a second day with a, a more costly engineer, uh, and they're all they're reaping the benefits. Shall we put it that way? Well, and I'm going to put it out there, and and then let Jeff talk for a minute. That uh, to to the insurance industry, if you don't think you know, along the lines of. Uh, Oh, what would you say? Bait and switch. <laughs> that concept, that's exactly what some of those people are doing. No, and we're not saying everybody. And we're not saying no. every and we're not saying every origin and cause investigator is gonna do that. But there are incentives for them to do that. So And this is something we know and if it gets me in trouble, it gets me in trouble. I'm calling a spade a spade. What do you think, Jeff? Well, I mean, certainly. I mean, there's a there's an economic impact when the you know if the, if the company's able to utilize their own uh, engineers or especially uh, personnel for a particular case. But you know, a lot of it comes down to what that initial fire investigator see. You know, if the fire investigator should be able to determine if there is uh, sufficient reason to either bring in an, an a, a engineer or not. Um, you know, a lot of times I've, I've seen cases where, you know, they won't even, or the, an individual may not even look at a scene. The, the first thing they do is they do a shotgun approach, put everybody on notice. Um, they've taken, they've done a really quick assessment, and and when you get there, you realize that you're looking at the scene, and, and there's really no purpose for doing anything, that it didn't have any advantage at that point, to even proceed to, to go to the extent that uh, was initially started. Yeah, I, you know, I, I I'm thinking one I worked up, and in a certain area, it was a three million dollar loss. But there's a fire on the second floor of a mansion. Okay, and they put, well, there were 44 investigators, 16 um, engineers, and and I it was funny. I was standing next to a guy, and I said, "Who are you here for?" And he said, "Well." I'm here for the lawn sprinkler people because they have a controller in the basement. Well, uh, <laughs> that's uh, the fires on the second floor. Okay, right. so why was it? But guess who I was there for? I was there for the for the trucking company that trucked the fireplace insert to the wholesaler. So and then and then it was sold to the to the um, uh, builder. And so, I mean, right. no, so uh, I think we were both standing there for no reason. I got out of there oh. pretty quickly. That's insane. Oh. Do you, you you work those too, don't you? Oh, absolutely. I've, I spent four days on a scene, and all we did was we sold the vehicle that was 
basically undamaged on the other side of the structure two hours earlier. <laughs> that's all we, that's, <laughs> it was four days of why am I here? <laughs> Bruce, and you probably work those too, don't you, where you're standing there saying, why, why? Absolutely. You know, it's nice to get the assignment, I'll say that, but uh, sometimes you do question the necessity of, of why do we have all of these people here? How can you possibly make a case against X, Y, and Z that, that clearly are not involved in this situation? And that's a whole nother show on the litigious climate that we're in and how that's become such a uh, such an issue. And Jeff, I want to ask you what your thoughts were about flat rate examination fees. You know, the couple of companies I've worked for um, in the past, we had negotiated flat rate fees, and and the the problem with the flat rate fee is is that uh, you're basically you're telling this individual this is you know how much time you have to work this scene you know if they get there and the end of and the client says well you know just go ahead and do this really quick and all that then i don't know that you're able to actually do a, a great assessment and and by no means at times be able to do a thorough investigation to meet the industry standards uh you know there there have been instances where i've had a flat rate um, assignment, and I was able to produce a quality product for less than that. And it, it's really, you know, it can be a savings, but it can't be. You know, to use a flat rate fee, it really should just be utilized to to get an individual uh, or an expert out there to look at, assess, see what the scope of the of the uh, assignment's going to actually be. You know, it may be a matter of the individual gets out there and says, look, there's nothing we can do with this. Um, we've lost evidence. Uh, there's nothing of an evidentiary value, whatever it may be. But at the same time, as they get there, they should be able to identify, uh, you know, potential uh, cause scenarios, um, potential parties of interest and such, and at that point be able to work back with their client and advise them, you know, basically what the scope of this investigation could get t- is going to entail and the potential um, for either recovery or subrogation at that time. Right, I agree with you, and that, as a matter of fact, uh, it all generally goes down to the, uh, well, not only the integrity of the particular fire investigators, because I believe that this country has par- primarily a very large number of people that are have more than uh, enough integrity and obje- objectivity, and but everybody can be wrong, and there are a certain number of investigators out there that are, are incompetent, and, and it's just like with any field. There's incompetent doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs, right? So it's it's really true. And Bruce, you're, you're, when you get an assignment, uh, what are your service parameters for the client? Uh, do they, uh, what, what happens generally when you have one? Well, when I receive an assignment, I, I make contact as soon as possible with the insured in order to coordinate my scene examination. My goal is to do the initial scene examination within 24 hours, if that's at all possible. Uh, I make sure that I contact the client from the scene and, and provide them with any updates on this is the status of the investigation, this is what I've found to this point, these are the steps I think we need to take to move forward and uh, coordinate that with the uh, satisfaction of the client in mind. Um, obviously, the, the use of the scientific method and, and the guidelines of NFPA 921 and 1033 are of prime importance to every investigation, and we follow those you know, to the letter. 
Right, and that's that's really good. I, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because um, uh, we are. That's the practice. We 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 that is the standard of care in our industry almost that you have to follow not only the scientific method, but which, which is which is <laughs> required, but. Uh, this guide, uh, 921, is a guide for fire and explosion investigations. You can deviate from that. Uh, you just need to have a reasonable, exp- uh, why, uh, what's the reason? It has to be reasonable. If a fire, right. uh, if, if it says all, all the, you have to take a photograph of all the f- walls there um, from every different angle, which is what 921 says, and you were, if it's all burned out in the back and, and you're on the side of a cliff, you don't have a, you don't have a, um, a sky hook, so you have to take it from the inside. So that's a good reason not to take that, you see. Or if there's evidence spoliation, if somebody stole uh, the circuit breaker panel, you can't take a picture of the circuit breaker panel, so that's a pretty good reason why you didn't take that, don't you think? Right. Yeah, right. you just need to be able to justify any deviations and, and have the logical reason, like you're saying there, to uh, explain why you were unable to complete that particular task, but how, in a way, also, that doesn't necessarily affect the final outcome of your investigation. No, that's exactly right, because you have to be objective, and you have to tell the truth at all times. And and the reason that I keep saying this, and I said this on different shows, is the general public is listening to us, you know, as well as fire investigators throughout the country uh, and fire service people that think of thinking about getting into private investigations at the end of their careers or whatever. And we need to emphasize that. And I know both you, Bruce and, and Jeff, uh, are, are highly, not only respected but you're, you're you're known for their your integrity and uh and so that's why i'm have, having you on the sh- on the show and i wanted to ask jeff um what do you think the advantages are and the disadvantages of nationwide forensic firms versus the regional or smaller companies what do you think well i think ideally with nationwide fir- firms the, the intent is is that you know you have uh, experts stri- uh, strategically placed throughout the united states or within mm-hmm. What area they're they're uh, operating in? Um, you know, the intent is to obviously get to the scene as soon as possible. To, uh, if you know if you have people in key locations, then there's a uh, cost savings to that versus uh, an expensive travel time and all that. Uh, you know, regional companies do basically the same thing. It's just a smaller geographic area. Um, you know, I think. When you talk about a, the potential disadvantage, obviously for a regional company, it's going to be the area they're going to be at. They may have to have more time invested into getting to areas that are uh, a little bit further away uh, than, say, the uh, proposed national company's coverage. For a national company, I think there's a the potential of what I call just filling a spot. You know, you you advertise, you try to to get key markets um, saturated with uh, experts, and when they're when you're reviewing, you know, a person's application, you know, it, they look good on paper, but you know, what was the quality of their experience, the quality of their training, and such, um, you know, before they actually start uh, operating in that particular area, you know, with any firm size, you know, obviously vetting those experts. Making sure that they have a uh, uh, not only the, you know the credentials and that CV, which 
you know, remember the CVs designed to impress the individual. We don't write poor CVs and we don't write, you know, subpar uh, resumes in an intent to, you know, to woo our clients or our employers. So they really have to be vetted and make sure that that the people that are working in those areas are actually uh, competent and able to to meet the expectations of the employer's clients. And Bruce, I think you'll agree with me. One thing that's not on a CV, and the reason that you vet and you vet personally, is confidence. Confidence is not on a CV. You don't know, Bruce, do you, how people are going to react in a situation? No, exactly. That comes through experience from getting to know the individual, having a working relationship, how you you uh, see how they react in similar situations, and then you know what to expect in the future. Absolutely, and uh, and I know Bruce that uh, that you, uh, you that you know the other investigator that works with you, and one of the things that that. Well, when we're on the other side of the hour, when we when we come back after break, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the vetting process in um, CFIS. Uh, but also, I want to talk to you guys about um, about where you think this is going, uh, where the industry trends are going. So you can think about that when we come back. Um, I must tell you that uh, that it's important that um, people be vetted, as as uh, as Jeff said, and. Uh, I know I've been vetting people for the last uh, since 2005, and uh, and we read their reports. So we went not only when we vet them, we uh, we not only do their CVs and all of their credentials, but we also read their reports so we know that they can write and talk to them. We actually interview them and test and, them and test them verbally. Uh, define fire. You, yeah. I mean, still to this day, the the most brilliant ones in the world go, uh. Yeah, isn't that silly? <laughs> yeah, and the other fun yeah. part is, uh, yeah, I ask them what the scientific method, you use the scientific method, don't you? Yes, what are the steps of the scientific method? Ah. Uh. <laughs> okay. So, so anyway, well, okay. So, what a minute. We're gonna we're gonna go to to uh, our break here in a moment. So, uh, gentlemen, please stand by. We're gonna come back and and we'll grill you some more on the other side of this. So when you come back, please come back to Speaking of Fire. it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced, certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at fcifire.com or call 913-262-5200. Fireanalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. 
We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact fireanalysis.net. That's fireanalysis.net. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, we're talking to Jeff Spalling, a, a fire investigator at Fire and Explosion Consultants, and uh, Bruce Van Dorf, who, uh, who runs his own company um, and uh, and is a uh, has been in the uh, he's been in the business for a long time, and uh, he's the owner of Fire Investigation Services. Both of them being in Ohio, and uh, but I guess you're competitors. Is that right, Jeff? <laughs> Yeah, I would I would say that, but I think we've been very good friends for a very long time. Yeah, that's right. You know, see, you get to know. That's one of the advantages of being a regional company. You get to know the investigators in that region, and you get to know who is uh, who is meticulous and detailed, and and one that you can trust. Uh, if they tell you something, uh, they're not trying to pull the wool over your eyes and stuff. I want to say something um, because I was pretty pointed earlier in the show. The investigators out there in the street that work for the big box, there's a lot of them, good guys out there. They're not the ones making the decisions. They're they're not the ones out there pushing these flat rates and pushing these concepts of, uh, as we term them, drive-by type origin and cause investigations that that's not what's happening there's some so i just want to put that out there because i didn't want to alienate alienate some of the some of the people that we know that oh that's what you're they talking. can't they can't open their own business and and do this no i understand that and 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 i think they understand that too because i yeah personally i believe you were trying to alienate everybody but oh well they, yes that's, Crap, no, you're right no, 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 no i'm not especially our guests yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, let me, yeah yeah here's the other thing well we let let, let's uh, let's talk about the vetting process. I'll just finish the thing on the vetting process. The vetting process, as far as we're concerned, is is a real is is real. And and uh, and I know Jeff and you guys and and Bruce, you both do this. And what you look at is not only you look at uh, at the individual and their, their reputation in the community and, and where they came from and what their training is, uh, but you actually have they have to have things. They have to have errors and omissions insurance they have to have certified they have to be a certified fire investigator of course i believe that iwai certification is the best so i i want our people to have that and then uh, they have to have a good cv 
they have to have uh, testified uh, in court or at least have had some, I mean, even in deposition to be, you know, under the, the line of fire there. And then also they have to have training. And we demand that they go to real training, not just CFITrainer.net, which is a most wonderful thing, but you just can't use that for your entire training. And then if we like it if they have teaching experience. Um, and, uh, and so there's all kinds of different things. Plus, we give them a test uh, and we uh, read their reports. And um, I think um, both of you, uh, both Jeff and, and, and Bruce, uh, there's a difference between a, a, a fire department report and a private investigation report, isn't there? We'll start with Jeff. Uh, I would say for most instances, there probably is, uh, at least uh, here in the city of Middletown, we've, uh, since I've taken that back over in the last two years and we've revamped how we did stuff, um, I mean, our reports look, are very detail-driven. Um, you know, lots of references, a lot of footnotes, everything has to be explained. Uh, if I, you know, I've done several in the last couple of months that are aware of anywhere of 30 to uh, 50 pages in length because, again, there's, as I've taught at different places or have, have been asked, I, there's no difference between conducting an investigation for origin and cause and developing a hypothesis and opinion from the private side to the public side, at least from my standpoint. No, you're absolutely right. It, 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 the process is exactly the same. The, the difficulty is that a lot of uh, public service the departments only write uh, minimal reports. I mean, that's been my experience throughout uh, my entire career. It's it's only when you get a private investigator that's in charge of it. I mean, well, you were you're, you were public service, then you went private, and you saw the big difference in the detail, and then you went back and you changed the way the public service was doing it, right? Oh, absolutely. I've got 11 fire investigators that absolutely hate me right now because they're <laughs> learning how to do reports, and I'm like, Guys, you know, you can, you've got two or three pages. You can throw a paragraph in there at some point. Um, you know, think about the, the, I read one yesterday, or I was helping an investigator that's got one that's going to grand jury. It's part of a murder for hire plot. And the, uh, the terminology like flames licking up from below. So I put them on the spot and asked them that, or, you know, we'll say speculating on why something happened. I'm like, did you see that? Did you see evidence of that? No, then let's not include that because it's a target for you when you have, if this would go to trial and, you know, they hire somebody to challenge your opinion. Right. And Bruce, I heard you chuckling through that. So I'm going to take it uh, in your teaching experience and your fire department experience. You've seen the same thing. Oh, absolutely. No, I, most commonly what we find is that the, the local jurisdiction, if they have their own investigators, they're looking at two or three or ten fires a year, uh, so they've got the limited experience factor, and it's all about, uh, you know, I'm on shift or, or I'm volunteering my time, how quickly can I get this report done and get back home? Um, what I find in Middletown, where Jeff works, is really not the norm at all on the public side of things. Um, very rarely do you get a, a detailed report that um, can be compared to anything I, I do on the private side. 
And having myself taught report writing, that's one thing that gets very frustrating for me is when you do only write two to three to ten reports a year. The one thing that I always said and, and say is write the report as if it's the only one you've ever written and it's going to court. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You have to approach it that way. I, I believe that, I, I mean, you never know what's going to happen uh, two or three or five years down the road with a particular case, and, and any one of them has the potential of ending up in court. So the, the time to prepare is when you do the investigation and you write that report to be as thorough as possible. That, and, and it's for your own good to remember details yourself because once you get several hundred thousand fires under your belt, you're not going to remember five years down the road exactly where that was sitting if it was the northwest or the northeast corner. You're just not. Until you if you put it in there. And if it didn't, and, you, and a lot of things is if it, it's not in report, it didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, that going on. But... Uh, I'm hoping that uh, Jeff, and I know you and I used to talk about reports at length uh, years ago, and uh, and one of the things I hope you, you took uh, from our discussions where I won't let any of my people use the word appears in a, in a report unless there's a genie involved in it. If there's a genie, uh, it, <laughs> yes. I have, I have taken that to heart. Uh, there is, I've had several of them. Several investigators put that in there. Uh, actually, we, we did a we did an in-service training to kind of prepare them for report writing and um, appears among other words that uh, you really shouldn't use was one of the big ones. Uh, the one that drives me nuts is the word that. I mean, it's so overused and and just that 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 that. Oh yeah, I was to try to. You're trying to explain everything with a that, this yeah. and that. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. But, yeah, no, I mean, it, it either it is or it isn't, like, uh, you know, we've stu- discussed many a times. And that goes back to the, what I was talking about, about confidence. And, and it, if it, it, call it. Say it. Yes. And, and back it up or, or don't do this. I mean, is that simple? And I've been called names. <laughs> yeah, wiggle words. Uh, I got that from an ATF guy one time. He says wiggle words. And that's really true. Exactly. It's like if, if maybe, perhaps, uh, could be, likely, uh, uh, let's be, say what you mean. I know, Bruce, you say what you mean in your reports, don't you? Aren't you definite when you say this is boom, this is right, right? Well, yeah, you have to be. If, if you're getting into the territory where appears and possible and maybe or could be are uh, get, appearing in your report, then the bottom line better be that this cause is undetermined. They're um, probable. Uh, following the guidelines at 921, you, you haven't reached the probable level. Uh, if you have, then say that in your report and, and be straightforward about it. There you go. She said power probable in the background there. Exactly. Uh, yeah, well, absolutely right, because I, you have to be – it, well, I know you guys agree with me at this. The, the hardest person to, to convince as to the, to the origin and the cause of this fire should be the fire investigator, not a jury, not the, not the judge, not the attorney that's looking at it or the adjuster. It has to be you. And once you know what it is, then you know what it is. So you have to say what it is. And, uh, and uh, Jeff, you're in a, a supervisory position, uh, not only on your department, you're also uh, uh, also in your company, are you not? Uh, don't you uh, um, 
Don't you like uh, oversee some of them? I don't oversee any of our investigators. Um, uh, I, I've been thrown into the into the mix as the train coordinator, but a lot, most of our guys are pretty uh, independent. Uh, at times, we'll obviously uh, do reviews of their reports and such, and try. And a lot of times, it's self-driven, where the investigator will call us and say, "Hey, will you look at my report and see where I'm lacking?" or you know, do you think it meets the burden of proof? And we'll do that with each other um, several times uh, during the course of the year where individuals have very important cases that are coming up and making sure that their reports meet. I don't want to say a peer review since there's a vested interest mm-hmm. um, being a company member. Well, but we do a very review. good detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do a very good technical review of those investigators' reports. I'm sure that's true because uh, I have um, Kirk Hankins that works with me as a chair of the um, CFI committee, the IAAI CFI committee, and we we read each other's reports because everybody has everybody's report has to be reviewed. And I know Bruce, you you just said it. It's a technical review because if it's a peer review, would you have to only peer reviews can be done by people that don't have uh, dogs in the fight. Okay, so they they don't have any interest really. Right. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and Bruce, you um, I imagine you you said you have a partner in your firm, right? Or you you go out there. I imagine you look at each other's reports before they're out, don't you? Yes, we do. It, it, it's great to do the technical review. You know, when I find that I've done the investigation, I I know all the details. They're in my head. They're in my notes and in my photographs. So I'm writing a report from my perspective where I've been there. I've looked at this. I'm the one that collected the evidence and came to this determination. And sometimes trying to put that on paper for someone else to get the same understanding that I've come to can be difficult. And that's where the technical review can come in and say, hey, look, what do you mean on page three in, in paragraph number two there when you said ABC? I'm not quite following you there. So the technical review helps to, to um, convey the meaning, the overall understanding that, that I have in my investigation to the reader. Right, right. I've really enjoyed listening to the two of you and your, your insight into this. And, and I want to throw this out here because um, we were talking about the big box companies and so forth, and we're all in this boat together. How can regional and smaller firms compete with these nationwide firms? Jeff? Uh, it's very simple. I mean, it comes down to the work product. If, if you, as, an, as the individual investigator or the, the regional company, if, if you are producing a work product, that you know is matched by none that's the easiest way to compete with with any company big or small you know we need to do our jobs and, and do them meeting the professional standards of 1033 and, and the guidelines of 921 and and doing everything that we're supposed to be doing being able to put that on paper as bruce said make it so that it can be understood by the end reader and and in a lot of times, remember, the end reader, the, the most important one might be that person sitting on a jury. Do they understand what you're saying? Uh, and then ultimately able to articulate all these facts and, and information in a uh, uh, manner that sounds professional, yet the whole understanding comes out, whether it's at a deposition, a trial, or verbally over the phone to your client. 
Right. That's great. What do you, and Bruce, what, how's your feeling on that? Well, I think there's a couple things that, you know, as a regional expert, I don't have the overhead associated with the big box service providers. You know, I, I have what's necessary. I've got my vehicle and my equipment that I take with me to the scene. I've, I've got a warehouse for evidence storage. I have the, the ability to conduct evidence examinations. Uh, and I've got a staff, but my staff is small and efficient. Um, I'm not trying to support 200 investigators and and 48 mm. clerical staff with 14 regional offices. Uh, so I don't have the overhead. So that's one way that we can compete with them is in the final pricing. I think. I and think you're right. Way is in. Yeah. Good. Go good. ahead, Mike. No, no. Go ahead. You said another way is. Well, another thing I think we. We have an advantage as a, a regional expert is the client relationships that we can develop where, you know, if an insurance adjuster calls the 800 number of Mr. Big Box service provider, uh, there's no guarantees who you're going to get to actually uh, work your claim on the other end. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas, it, you know, if you're calling my company, you've got two choices here. Either Gene Lutz or myself is coming out to service your particular assignment. And that client and then, relationship is very important. It is. It really is because people know uh, they hire, they usually hire the investigator, not the company. Uh, I mean, that's that's the philosophy that when, that's that's why I formed that uh, Consolidated Fire Investigation Services, which you guys are part of, actually. Um, the, every one of the people are vetted. Everybody is 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 qualified. Uh, Sarbanes Oxley Act says that you have to send a qualified investigator to do the work. So what we do is we totally vet the person uh, before they're on the list. They they have to write a rep- We have to look at their reports. We have to look even even in. Uh, uh, when I worked for another carrier that was uh, that we used to do all their we used to do peer reviews for them. They would send us reports uh, first. The investigators would and and we would have them fill in the holes before they send them on to the client. Okay, that was very very important because we didn't have a dog in that particular fight. See, so these private investigation companies still use me for that. But what I'm saying to you is these CFIS people, which you guys are part of are qualified people that know how to write, that know there are the experts, and they're regional. So we know if we get a call in from a a client uh, for CFIS, that we will send the most important guy, the one that's most experienced in that area. So if if you have a marine loss, a, a boat loss, we don't send a guy that does automotive fires. Uh, we you send a guy that does marine losses. You don't send a guy that does garage uh, garage work. You know. So I want to say too, um, and I'm sure the two of you have heard this also that the putting the cart before the horse. That's exactly what happened this year. One of the carriers uh, signed on with with a couple of the nationwide companies. And the next thing we saw at our level was them scrambling around trying to find anybody, any warm body on the street because they didn't have the coverage that they said they had. And they weren't prepared for the influx of, of claims. And so they were, and, and didn't you, Mike, you got approached. Didn't oh, yeah, you I, got a, I got approached by them. Yeah. It, it, see, here's the deal. They, <laughs> I mean, if 
they're they're misrepresenting their coverage. But if you've got these two, like we have in CFIS, if we have these 200 people throughout the country, they're there. We know they're there. We know where they live. They're vetted. They're vetted, and they're and they go. You guys get you would get stuff out of us with CFIS. But but when I'm here's here's the day. Here's the deal. You guys are great, and and because you're great, we're going to ask you for a short story of a fire that you want to talk about, and we'll, we'll we got eight minutes, so don't take all of them. Jeff, go. Give us a give us a story. A short story. A short wow. story about a fire. I'm yes. surprised he knows the definition of a short story, quite frankly. Oh, that's what he does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm struggling on that. Uh, I don't know. I can start, but there's just. It's just so, there's You're, usually one one 20. crisis after another is what I'm dealing with. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, well, okay, just tell us a story about an incendiary fire where you just knew it was incendiary from the jump and they arrested everybody and took them to jail. How's that? <laughs> well, I've got, I've got one right now that's set for trial where uh, basically I showed so, up um, at, shift, yeah. at shift change. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was quite evident that, you know, fire was burning in places around the structure. It shouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that was the one that uh, we uh, did the search warrant on the individual's pacemaker to uh, assist with our investigation. I heard about uh, that. That was great. Yeah. And it worked. And put them Yeah, there. it was definitely, mu- it was more enlightening than we ever thought it would be. It was kind of like one of those, well, you know, we don't know what it's going to tell us. And it was extremely informative. I mean, it's not the, it's not the whole basis of our investigation, but. No, but that's not. great. No, that's great. But also one of those things that listening to you all the time, that, that they can use words that it, it captured or something. I'll never have one of those in my house. I might say something <laughs> yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah, but that has, that has nothing to do with fire. That has to do with women. Anyway. No, it doesn't. Oh. I, I'm, I'm straight. <laughs> anyway, but what about uh, Bruce? See, I bombed Jeff with that, you know, so that, boom, suddenly give me a story. So that gave you time to think. So <laughs> yeah, and I appreciate us, that. That's okay. So give us a, the, the most a three-minute story, the most. Uh I was an investigator with the Dayton Fire Department in the earlier part of my career, and, and we had the responsibility for following the case all the way through the court system. We had the arrest powers through the sheriff's office. So we investigated a particular fire one afternoon that started in an upstairs apartment, uh, and it happened to be an acquaintance of the tenant that is the perpetrator of this particular crime. And we were able to make the arrest and, and bring the court case forward. Uh, it actually went to trial, and on the witness stand, the perpetrator made a claim that I didn't start that fire that all these gentlemen have been talking about all day. Um, that was a much bigger fire. The one I started was very small on the floor <laughs> of that apartment there. And this, I found that so to be after, fascinating that yeah, uh, he so didn't he, even realize what he was yes. doing there. Oh my gosh! Well, you know, so after he won the Darwin Award, what happened to him? Uh, he got his uh, just day in prison, I'd say. Yeah, well, that's very good. So, <laughs> so Jeff, I did bomb you, and I, I don't apologize to, all right, because we're friends, wow. and uh, you got to expect that from me. So, uh, do you want to? You want to? I'm going to give you. 
a, another minute or two to, to say anything you'd like. What, what would you like to say that you haven't covered that you wanted to say? Uh, no, I, 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 I think between what uh, Bruce and I said, I think it, it really addresses where we're at. I, I know I've spoke with, um, and more often with uh, attorney clients and such, and indicating that, you know, the, the industry right now is, is, is changing. And we're, again, and I've seen it cycle several times in the last 20 years where, you know, they, the carriers go from, you know, one or two providers back to regional providers and so on and so forth. And I know, and right now with what they're seeing, you know, the the general consensus I'm getting back is, is that the attorneys are uh, struggling on making recoveries. I had one individual indicate that, you know, he used to do one in 10 recoveries. Now he's up to one in 25 recoveries because they've gone to basically, um, you know, a one, two, or three company provider nationally, and when they get these uh, these cases sent to them to try to subrogate, they just there's no recovery. Yeah, what I think is interesting is that one of the first questions in depositions when they're doing this flat rate stuff is they say, well, you know, they start asking why the adjusters. They ask the adjusters, well, why did you go with this person? And they said, well, they they gave us this flat rate and. You know, that's that's not good. Uh, Bruce, you got one minute, big guy. Want to say something in, in closing here? No, yeah, I think uh, Jeff would agree with me as well that, that you know, this, this is not just my profession, but this is my passion. I'm, I'm doing what I want to do here. It's, it's not just another day in the office for me. Uh, I'm not trying to bring in hours and, and assignments just to make bonus or anything like that. And I think that's another difference maybe between the regional experts and these big box providers that, you know, we can yeah. provide the quality and consistency, the attention to detail that's needed for the particular case because, I mean, this is my life. I, I live right. this. Right, and thank you, guys. Thank you, guys, for being here, both of you. Um, next week, we're we're going to um, to have a, another show on uh, on fire investigation. Well, actually, it's not going to be exactly what you call fire investigation. So we're going to leave it as as this president we have right now uh, wants to leave us in suspense. So I'm going to leave you in suspense about uh, what next week is going to be about. So, uh, Donna, do you want to say anything in closing? No, I appreciate the two of you coming on board. And and this is a, a, a topic that needed to be discussed. And I'm sure I'm going to get some feedback that yeah, that's okay. <laughs> that but, won't be pleasant. But you know what? It's what you said, Bruce. It's, it is absolutely a passion. Right. And thank you. And thank you all for listening to uh, Speaking of Fire. And when you come back, Come back next week for Speaking of Fire. Thank you for tuning into Speaking of Fire. Please join your hosts, Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week and every week. <laughs>